where am I lying to myself? Where did I know the truth and dismiss it? Where did I um, reinterpret the truth in a way that was convenient or comfortable for me? Like really having to hold myself accountable for the ways I dishonored my own inner knowing. And when I give myself that space, because really I can't, I mean, yeah, my ex is all of the things that I said when we first got on, but I have my own agency. I still have my own agency. And I still, when I got the spidey sense or that like, when I tried to end that relationship so many times in the beginning and kept being um, convinced that I should stay. And then I stayed um, only to like have this huge devastation. That was Laren Alta. And you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 144. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. On this show, my guests and I are committed to one simple but powerful thing, telling the truth about our lives. No one's here to sell you anything. No one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. I certainly don't have any magic answers, and I can't give you a miraculous 10-day, six-step life hack plan for anything. Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) But as a recovering self-help junkie myself, I'm honestly so over that approach. And my guess is that maybe you are too. Maybe that's even why you're here. So no, that's not what this show's about. Here at Real Talk Radio, I sit down with athletes, writers, entrepreneurs, parents, coaches, adventurers, artists, activists, and many others, and we dive deep into meaningful topics. We talk about work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, racism, body image, mental health, grief, fear, courage, change, and everything in between. This is definitely an adult podcast covering adult subjects, often using adult language, so there's your little warning for that, and we never shy away from telling the unfiltered truth in an open and honest way even when it's uncomfortable. So with this mission in mind, you won't hear any ads or sponsor promotions. These honest conversations are 100% listener funded. How awesome is that? And that's made possible by incredible regular people like you who give $8 or more per eight episode season. The show is and will always be free. But if you love it, if these conversations make you laugh, think, or just feel less alone, my hope is that you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight episode season. When you get over to Patreon, you'll see our current funding goal. And when we reach that goal, it means that every single person who works on this show will get paid. That includes me and my sound engineer, Adam Day, as well as every single guest who comes onto the show because that's my vision, for each of our guests to be paid for the time, energy, honesty, care, and emotional labor that they bring to these conversations. The budget won't be huge to start with, and will hopefully continue to grow over time, but higher rates will always be paid to our guests of color, as well as our queer and trans guests and others with traditionally marginalized identities. Being able to pay all of our guests has been a dream of mine for a while now, because as you've probably heard me say before, I fully believe that where we spend our money is a real-time vote for the kind of world that we want to live in. And if I want to live in a world where people get paid for the work they do, especially creative work, then that means it's up to me to create that model here at Real Talk Radio, even if it's definitely not the norm in the podcast industry. So please know that when you help to fund this show, you're using your money as a vote for a world of honest, judgment-free conversations. You're voting to hear more stories from a wide-ranging group of people, the vast majority of whom are women, and you're voting to pay those folks for the entertainment and education that they so expertly provide for us. 
When you support this show, you're basically just saying loudly and proudly that these voices deserve to be heard and that no topic should be off limits due to fear or shame. And as a special thank you for supporting the show, you'll get access to over 40 hours of bonus content, as well as our monthly book club, my weekly behind the scenes email series where I share my real life in real time. Oh, if you think it gets vulnerable and honest on the podcast, just wait until you start getting my emails. Plus, you'll be the first to know when tickets go on sale for Real Talk Live events and retreats. Also, 5% of each season's profits are donated to social justice organizations, such as Black Lives Matter, the Venture Out Project, and the Refugee and Immigrant Center for Education and Legal Services. So you can feel really good about that aspect of your pledge contribution to this show as well. Over on the Patreon page, you'll see that there are currently three different funding levels. There's an $8 level, a $16 level, and a $25 level, each with their own unique, awesome bonuses. At the $25 level, we even do live Google Hangouts together, and oh my gosh, those are so much fun. They seriously become something that I look forward to all the time. So once more, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And at the very end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our Patreon community members who joins me for a fun little rapid fire question round. So stick around for that after the main episode for sure. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Laren Alta. Laren is a spiritual teacher and mentor known for burning down the stale, fluffy, boring self-help formulas and helping women to ignite true spiritual liberation. Her workshops, retreats, and one-on-one intensives have been called transformation temples for unruly, soulful women. She works with women whose lives have crossed a shatter point, as she calls it, illness, bankruptcy, abuse, divorce, miscarriage, a moment when their world fell apart and they realized the money, the status, the degrees, and the happily ever after promises they had worked so hard for didn't matter as much as they thought they did. During those times, Laren is the guide that takes them deeper into their spiritual journey. She believes pain is a healing initiation and, if honored, it will fortify you and bring you through the shadows and into the light. In this episode, which is the first one that Laren's done all year, she shares the honest story of what she did when her own life fell apart toward the end of 2017. Through the story of what happened to her, she also shares the intentional ways that she's prioritized extreme self-care, recovery, and healing. We talk about the importance of truth in her life and work, and why it's more important to her than ever to pay attention to and honor the things that she knows to be true. We talk about intuition versus fear. We talk about her meditation practice, agency, sovereignty, and the power of giving yourself permission to be present with whatever is happening. I often say that I wish people were more open and honest about their struggles in real time, and this is exactly what Laren showed up to do in this conversation. I'm so grateful to have had this discussion with her, and I hope that you feel as comforted and inspired by it as I do. So all of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at NicoleAntoinette.com slash podcast. All right, we are good to go. Laren, welcome back. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. We were just talking off air as we were having some technical difficulties, and I said to you that my new attitude is just to roll with everything, and if this is supposed to work out, it's going to work out, and the connection will be clear, <laughs> and if not, then that's fine too, and I feel like I've like reached a point where I, I'm so, at the time of this recording, I'm leaving tomorrow for my PCT hike, and I've like maxed out on worrying and like obsessing about things, and so now I'm just like the shrug emoji permanently, <laughs> I feel. I mean, really, that's the best way to get through life in general, right? Like we can only control what we can control. And 
Wi-Fi and internet connection is not it right no, now. No, today. it's not. Or it's not it ever. I'm not, I'm not the magic genie <laughs> that controls the Wi-Fi. So. <laughs> so drop me into your real life. Tell me how you spent the first hour of your day today. Oh, I got up. Um, I, well, I woke up. I don't use an alarm. So I just woke up a couple hours ago and I had some messages from my assistant in my phone, which I decided not to look at because it would send me all the way into work mode. So I got up, brushed my teeth, meditated, um, and then got on my computer. Oh, watched a couple YouTube videos that make me chuckle and then got on my computer and then I checked the messages from her. <laughs> Do you tend to be pretty good with having boundaries around like obsessive phone use? And this is a complete selfish question because I have lately been so deep down the check my phone all the time hole. And so I'm mm. interested to hear how that works for you. Well, it depends. Right now I'm living in a tiny village in Mexico where I don't know anybody. I don't really have um, conversations and I don't speak Spanish. So I don't have a lot of social interaction here except for people who I see when I buy food or go to the, you know, eat. Uh, so I spend most of my social connection right now is coming from my phone. So I don't like it's not obsessive, but like my business and my personal life are now connected to my phone in more intense ways than they have been before. So it's not obsessive and like my entertainment. So I listen to my, uh, my audio books on my phone. So even when I'm not like in my phone, I'm connected to it in some other way. So I'm trying, even like if I go to the beach, I'll have my like Bluetooth speaker and my phone is playing my music. So it's, it's constantly around me, even if I'm not diving into the other worlds that it's connected to. Mm -hmm. How long have you been in Mexico? I came initially in, uh, I think, March or February for two weeks with my mom. And then I went back to Seattle for a month. That's when I saw you. And we did um, the live together. And then I have been back here for three months now. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I thought it had been a while. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that it feels, what was that, the first weekend of April that we saw each other in Seattle? And that already feels like a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So will you tell me the story of what led you down to Mexico? Oh, yeah. Uh, my whole life kind of imploded, exploded. I was in um, a relationship that I'd been in for several years. And the long story short is I found out I was basically in a relationship with a con artist who was, um, that's one way to put it. We could also say sociopath. We could also say someone with narcissistic personality disorder. There's a lot of different ways to frame it, all of which are true. Um, and so I found out that this was true. Um, a, a lot of wild, horrible things happened in the winter, including like a fake suicide attempt and a hospitalization and all kinds of stuff. And then I found out after that, all of that I had actually been living a lie for three and a half years. And that really gutted me um, and knocked the wind out of my sails, turned me upside down and inside out. And I've just been, you know, putting myself back together and giving myself the space and time to heal and recover because it's been that that level of betrayal has been quite devastating and painful to get through. Yeah, I can. I mean, I can't even imagine why Mexico. 
um, because it's hot. It's all the things that I've been saying for years that I want it in a place. I want it somewhere hot, sunny, coastal, with the, where the dollar is strong and the internet is strong. And the internet, as we have figured out, is not always as strong. <laughs> uh, but um, the rest is true. It's a, the, the village I live in has a, no more than like 2,000 people and it's low season right now. So it's like really quiet and um, peaceful. And I, I live a really small life here, which is, exa- I love my apartment because it's not a traditional, like it's bright and white and lots of big windows um, and super clean, which I really need to help me heal. And a lot of the traditional buildings here are made out of bricks, which are hot. It's like a brick oven. You're like, it's really hot. So this has like air conditioning wall unit and it's perfect for me. So it's, it's exactly where I needed to come to heal. Quiet, small, on the ocean, um, sunny and warm. It's interesting to hear you say that those are the qualities of a place that you had been talking about for years that you wanted. And I feel like it's such a relatable experience that it takes something going wrong or things falling apart sometimes in order for us to just be like, fuck it, I'm going to give myself what I need and what I want. Totally. It didn't even occur to me because I was in so much pain and so much grief when I got here for the first couple of months, at least six weeks to a month, that uh, two months that, that it didn't occur to me until one really beautiful, I mean, every day here is beautiful, but one really beautiful day when I was walking from the beach back to my apartment, which is like literally a three minute walk. And I see that I can see the beach from my balcony. And I was like, Oh my God, Laren, you're living the life that you, this, this is, I want it to be somewhere walkable where I could walk everywhere. I want it to go. Like, this is exactly what I said I wanted. And I was, I wouldn't have, I didn't give it to myself when I was in Seattle in that relationship waiting for the stars to align. And the reality is those stars were never meant to align. Those were not the stars to align. Like they just needed to be what they were. But that relationship was never going to take me here. I mean, in in the way that I had imagined. Yeah, yeah. I'm interested to hear more about the decision to go somewhere that, like you said, you don't know anyone, right? And you don't necessarily speak the language and to have that kind of solitude as opposed to the choice of maybe healing in community. And it's not that you don't keep in touch with people from home and all of that, but I'm interested in in why you made that choice. Well, this has been this whole recovery process has taken most of my year. I, you know, so it's, we're in July, it's July, bare beginning of July right now. And the shit hit the fan, um, in January. So the, the way it started was a friend of mine who kind of was abreast of all the things. This is like during the hospitalization after the fake suicide attempt and all that. And it was dark and cold and wet in Seattle. And she said, you need to get out of here. Cause she knows that I need sun and water. And, and she said, you, so she was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to pull some funds and I'm going to send you to LA to be an Airbnb. And, um, so she bought my airline ticket. She put me up in an Airbnb for three days and, um, I couldn't come back to Seattle. I was like, oh no, I'm going to stay here. So I ended up staying for a month and I ended up staying with a couple of friends in that time, which was great. They were like, they didn't, they didn't bother me. They were there. They're like, you can stay. I have a spare bedroom, stay here as long as you want. So that was like, helpful to be in community then to have like people around, but I was so raw and so tender and so fragile that I couldn't 
process, you know, like it wasn't really, it was helpful to be with them and have, have them have such generous hearts to just let me stay there. Um, but I couldn't, I'm not an external processor generally, unless I'm in like the height of crisis, which I was. So, but I, it was like, it was like, um, how do I say it was like, um, uh, this collaborative thing, but I, I, because what I had been through is so, it wasn't a regular breakup, right? It wasn't like this, it wasn't something that most people can ever wrap their heads around the level of deception and manipulation and betrayal that like having to explain it or talk about it in community would have to, it was often re-traumatizing sure. un- unless they understood. So, and I'm an introvert. I like solitude by nature. So, be, so once I got kind of all that good baseline stabilizing and it's still, you know, I relied on heavily on my friends to help me get through that, that most beginning part. But here I just needed to like be, and, and when I was in my friend's spare bedrooms, I would like literally stay in bed all day and I would get up to go to the bathroom. And then, then the next step was like, I could have one thing to do a day. And then that would be like, go leave the house, go get a green juice come back and get in the bed. And that was all I could do. That was all I was capable of. And when I got to Mexico in the very beginning, it was, it was the same. I just would be in the bed in like so much pain and I would just be able to, to be there. And, and it kind of also relieves me from the social um, obligations or norms or expectations of being polite. Like I didn't talk to a new person for six weeks, literally. I didn't, my, when I was here with my mother initially, um, my mother's very social, very extroverted, very outgoing. And she knows all, she comes to this particular village every year and, uh, for like 10 years. So she has her whole little crew and all this. And she would like turn around to introduce me to someone and I would have disappeared. (laughs) I didn't want to talk to anybody. I just didn't have the emotional capacity to talk to anybody new. I didn't talk to anybody new when I was in LA. Like I, my friends would be like, okay, I'm going to dinner with this or I'm going to this. Do you want to meet? And I was like, nope, I'm staying in the bed. I'm going to watch Living Single. That's all. I watched the entire series of Living Single. You know, like, I, it was such extreme um, self-care. It was such extreme grief that I just, I could barely function. So that's why. <laughs> yeah, I, I already feel so much gratitude for the fact that you're willing to talk about this because I think then I've been thinking about this a lot lately about grief and loss of all kinds and also, you know, depression and and mental illness and the way that these things manifest. And I think like we want there to be a really tight container for it, or Mm. we want it to look a certain way, or how do we hold space for people that are going through this? How do we give ourselves, you know, permission to let it be as messy as it is? And like to hear you talk about, you know, I could do one thing a day and that was to get green juice. And obviously, you know, we would never wish that on anyone, but that's what it's like sometimes. And I think that there's a lot of power in just like I think about and obviously this isn't the exact same as what you're saying but I think about some of the worst like episodes of depression that I had and like this the clear memory that always comes through for me was there was a two-week period where I couldn't make toast like the thought Mm. of having to like take the bread out of the fridge Mm -hmm. and like put it and then wait and put something on the like it I I mean I couldn't do it and now like I almost laugh when I think that because like I can make toast in my sleep almost right like it's the easiest thing Mm -hmm. and I go but like sometimes I have to remind myself oh, it actually was that bad. Like that literally was yeah. something that I wasn't capable of doing. And I don't know, there's like a, it, it, I don't even really know what my point is, but that I think that it's a gift 
to talk about these things and as much as we're willing to do so because this is the reality for a lot of people in a lot of different phases and hopefully it doesn't last forever but like this happens totally and 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 this is gonna I'm gonna give like an example that's way left and totally unrelatable to most people but then I'm gonna bring it back (laughs) so last month I celebrated six years of um having been out of brain surgery. I had brain surgery six years ago. And my neurosurgeon could tell me all about how to prepare for brain surgery, all about, you know, what brain surgery is going to be like, you know, and, and that was great. And I did all other kinds. I had people, I had my neurosurgeon and my anesthesiologist read me affirmations. I had my meditation when I woke up in the ICU, you know, I did all the things I could to prepare for brain surgery, which was hard and really difficult and and intense, but no one talked to me about what it was like to recover from brain surgery. No one, my, because my neurosurgeon didn't know once people left his office, they were gone. You know, there was no conversation and that was harder than surgery. I had to learn how to walk again. I was having horrible nightmares. Lady Gaga was playing incessantly in my head. I woke up angry. No one prepared me for that. No one even gave me a heads up that recovery was worse than surgery. No one. And so I had to figure all that on my own. And I think that that's the same from recovering from any kind of traumatizing event, emotional, mental, anything that like disrupts our sense of reality, whether it's in our bodies, in our mind, in our heart, in our soul. And recovery is hard. And sometimes I even find myself in the last couple of weeks, and I'm getting better at this, but I found myself like, why aren't I feeling better already? Or how, you know, like two steps forward, one step back. Mm-hmm. Some Some days are harder than others. That was like when friends would check on me, how are you doing? And I would say, that's all I could say. Some days are harder than others. Some days I'm okay. And some days I'm like sucked into quicksand and it's the, the ground beneath me is getting firmer and getting more solid. Um, but, but it's, it's, there's no way to prepare because I was talking to a, a good friend of mine, um, the other day who we've been friends a long time. And she said, and I was like, you know, I just wish I was feeling better. I feel like I should be feeling better. And she said, she said, have you been through something like this before? Knowing full well that I hadn't. (laughs) Then she was like, have you been? And I was like, no, do you think I have? And she was like, no. So why do you think that you know how your recovery should look? Like, why do you, if you've never experienced this, why do you think you have a barometer for what recovery looks like? And I was like, oh shit. Oh, oh yeah. And which is hard because I want it to, I want it to feel cleaner and like in a bow and, prettier and you know easier because this shit is hard yeah it's hard Uh, yeah I also think what you were saying before about the benefit of you know solitude being that you don't have to worry about like being polite or playing along with the social contracts or doing that kind of thing like I think that's one of the most challenging things of going through a hard time is you're not only navigating the pain that you're in and the newness and rawness of all of that but there's also the element of like how to make it palatable for other people. Not that that's your job, of course, but I think that there is some element of that, that like, I don't know, people just want us to feel better already, I guess. And I don't know, or that, or that's our perception at least. Yeah. And I think most people don't have the emotional capacity to deal with their own pain. So they really don't know how to hold space for other people's pain and grief. You know, like it's like unpredictable and it's uh, uncomfortable and it's it's not cute. You know, and I these are things I talk about and teach in my work. You know, I, I say if you 
you know, grief, pain, and loss are an initiation. They are a threshold. You have to go through it, which I, this is why I'm giving myself this space. Cause I know, I know what happens when you don't, but I think pe- it makes people uncomfortable to sit with uh, other people in their pain. And, and I've experienced that. It's also a really good indicator of who, who has your back in the deepest ways and who doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, I've learned a lot about people in my um, world since this has happened because it's like, you know, I need people who can go there with me. Yeah. I remember you just touched on it a tiny bit, but one of the things that you said when um, you were speaking at the live event in Seattle was that idea that like healing is not cute. <laughs> that stuck with yes. me so much because it's so true. Like we want it to look, you know, the way that it looks in women's magazines, right? Like you buy the ice cream right. and you do whatever. And like, it's just it's like really ugly and awful. Yeah, it really it really is. And painful, like emotionally painful, physically painful. And, and still now it's been um, six months since, since I realized the lie that I was living started to unravel. And still, I'm still like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened four years ago. Or I can't, you know, like I'm still learning, oh my goodness, that meant that I'm still putting pieces together. And it, it kind of, it's true. It takes me back. And I have, I'm more resourced and more equipped now than I was when I first started finding out. But, um, yeah, it's, and it's not linear. That's the other thing. There's no A, B, C, D. Okay. Now you're done. No, this is all kinds of messy. Yeah. I, I have friends who, um, have gone through the death of a parent, which is something that I can't yet relate to. But, and, you know, one of them was talking about a month ago about like that it, comes like in unexpected waves, like even Mm -hmm. years and years and years later that, you know, everything will be fine. And then all of a sudden, like something will pop up or re-trigger and it's like, you're blown back there. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I haven't experienced the, the death of a parent either. So my, my, but what the way I would describe, it's like a death of a person. This is because the person that I thought I was in a relationship with doesn't exist. actually was a figment of their imagination. So it is a death in a way because the person I thought I was with isn't real. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like for the last six months that you've been in a phase of extreme self-care and self-recovery. And I would love for you to talk a little bit more specifically about what that has looked like. Like what has your healing process been like on a day-to-day basis? Mm. Well, the, the big kind of broad strokes are I couldn't work. I just stopped working. Um, and so that, which took me also out of having to take care of other people because my work is very much about holding space for other people to do healing work. So I had to like take a huge step back from that, which get, which gave me the space and the capacity to take care of myself, but also limited my income to nothing, but it was a risk I was willing to take because I, I had to. So that was one thing just to take that off of my plate. Um, but I meditate every day. I try to go to the ocean every day. I try to, to listen really acutely to what my body needs. So, you know, it's morning now, but, but yesterday, for example, I needed to, I worked a lot in the morning and then my body was like, nope, it's time to get in the bed. And I got in the bed and I didn't go to sleep. I like listened to this book, (laughs) this like light reading book that I'm listening to. Um, and I just stayed in the bed. So for me, and then I like, sometimes I have to force myself to go find food. I have to like, okay, Laren, you have to eat. You are a human. Go find food and then come back. And, and I did yesterday. It was a nice little, I went and got food. 
I went and got a agua fresca. I went and dropped off my laundry and then I walked. That took me about 20 minutes. Um, and then I got back in the house. So I think it, it's really about like listening to what my body needs in a moment by moment basis and, and allowing myself to have that, whatever it is, whatever the answer is. Is that something that before this experience that you felt like you were good at? Because even the simplicity of I, I, my body told me it was time to get back in the bed and I got back in the bed. It sounds really simple. And yet there's also something really powerful because like, as you were saying that I'm thinking of all the times where, you know, that's what I wanted to do and then didn't let myself do, or, you know, what's mm. wrong with you that you're tired or you have other things to do, or this isn't productive. Or I think a lot of the sort of like mental chatter that can surround like certain elements of true self care. And so is this something that's come up for you in the wake of this experience? Or is that a skill that you already felt pretty resilient with? Uh, I would say it's both a both and, you know, I, I have like physical and and energetic limitations in in my body. So I've had to learn that the hard way because I'm also a workhorse. I've also really love my work and I love to work so I can go, 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 which is why I have to remind myself to eat. Um, and, but sometimes my body just shuts down and, and when it does that, or just like is about to shut down, I've had to learn, you know, what the signs are when it's time and I, I do sometimes feel like I'm missing out. I'm like, oh, man, there's so much I still need to do. But that's why what I said earlier that, like, I had to, like, stop working. Because, so that wasn't even an expectation I had of myself that I was going to get any work done. There was no work to do. I just was like, nope, that's, there's, that's not even on the plate. All you have to do, my only job right now is to heal. And I just launched a new program in um, May. And, and it didn't start until June. And so that was like the first work I'd done all year and which, which helped me to like not have to worry about doing anything else. Yeah. What would you say to somebody who struggles with this element of like self-care or who's maybe going through a phase of needing to heal and is, I don't know, battling the difficulty of giving themselves permission to do that? Well, I would remind them that it's not going to make sense. Like if you're used to not taking care of yourself, taking care of yourself isn't going to feel logical. It isn't going to feel like the obvious thing to do and to do it anyway. You know, like it's not, it may not always give you the relief that you feel immediately because your mind may be going a million miles per minute and do it anyway. Like sometimes action needs to come before the mind. I know there's so much emphasis on mindset and da, 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 which is true. But sometimes you just like, that's why yesterday I just had to put myself in the bed. Even if my mind was like, but you have to do this and you have to plan this and you have to get ready for this. Sometimes you just have to put your body there first and let your mind catch up. And so if someone's struggling with it, I would tell them to do something physical that reflects what they want to be doing and not wait to like feel comfortable or ready to do it. Oh, yeah, that's such good advice. That's almost always the way that it works for me. Um, Not to say that mindset work and, you know, that that mental stuff and mental whatever pivots aren't helpful and necessary, but it almost always goes in the direction that you mentioned that the action has to come first, that it's like, for me, Mm -hmm. action is the cure for fear or for anything. Like, it's like, I, I'm very much of the mantra of just like, put your body in the space, whatever that looks like. And, you know, doing that is a cue for me for sort of my mind to follow along. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. Um, so will you talk a little bit about what your 
about your work sort of before and after, like how would you Mm -hmm. describe the work that you were doing before this happened? And then obviously I know one of the things that you mentioned in Seattle was you felt like the, you know, previous iteration of your work had sort of come to at least like a, not necessarily a close, but like a pivot point. I'm curious in the before and after of how you think about the work that you do. Mm, Yeah. Great question. So my work is always about healing, healing and transformation always like, and my, the women, the people that I work with specifically are women um, and helping them live more aligned with their, their selves and their soul. And so what that has looked like before has been workshops, in-person workshops, retreats, and one-on-one intensives. And I used to dabble in online courses a while ago, um, and, but I stopped doing that just to focus on my in-person work. And we, you could come work with me for three days in Seattle in person. We would go really, really deep. I'd create a sacred container and we would go really, really deep. And it's kind of like an internal chiropractic adjustment, like to get all your kinks and knots out energetically, emotionally, and align you so that you are straightened up and flying right for whatever you want to create next. Because what the women I work with often were feeling like their outside world looked great and glossy and beautiful and shiny, and they were totally discombobulated on the inside and, and out of alignment. And so that was that. And, and I would do that in... Um, workshops and retreats and you could work with me for like over six months once once a month in person um and i love that work it is it's still definitely a gift of mine to be able to hold that kind of transformational space with women and for women um but when when all of this happened i didn't have the emotional capacity to hold space for anyone barely hold space for myself so I couldn't, I knew that if I worked with, I would be doing a disservice. Like I, I would not, I didn't have the capacity. So I just, I didn't know what was next for me. Um, and, and what this has done, and I'm still learning this, I'm still learning myself in this new way is it's given me a deeper level of emotional sensitivity. I never would have said that I was emotionally sensitive before this happened. And this has given me a new level of emotional sensitivity. One of the women that I work with, who's a healer for me, um, says, you know, now sensitivity is one of my new superpowers. And I'm like, it does not feel super yet. (laughs) Hmm. I just feel way more thin skinned than I ever have before. And I, and I've been, I'm an energetically sensitive person. Um, but this is, I'm way more sensitive. And so I've had to like shift the way that I'm doing it, I've shifted my work back online now and, and offering creating sacred space digitally with like other courses and offerings in the online space. Um, and, and I'm sure eventually I'll, I will circle back and expand back into in-person work. Um, but right now I'm focusing more on, um, how do I hold the container online and creating more buffers between me and like direct contact. So I have an assistant now. Um, well, I've had an assistant before, but I have one who's like really feeling all of the, the initial contact because of, because of this new sensitivity, I'm still learning it and, it. and it will knock me out. The way people speak to each other, the way people can show up in my inbox with different tones, um, it will knock me out because I'm so still so heightened and raw right now. So I have to like do even more extreme self-care in my business than I ever have before. Yeah. I mean, sort of a reoccurring theme of everything that you're sharing, I feel like is this, you know, just asking yourself, what do I need? And then Mm -hmm. 
doing it, right? Like what boundaries do I need in my work? What do I need to put in place? What systems do I need to put in place that are going to make it possible for me to step back into doing this work again? And if that means different boundaries, if that means having an assistant, you know, it's, I don't know, I just think it's like very beautiful to hear about someone doing that in real time, who's willing to say, Mm. hey, the old way of doing things didn't work for me for or doesn't work anymore for any number of reasons. And these are the things that at least right now I need in order to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, um, and it feels, and like I said, I'm still learning it. I'm still, you know, figuring this out because it's, it's like a new skin, you know, and it's, it's like, oh, this is way sensitive. This still, this hurts in a way that it never would before. And to give myself that permission because I, I need to, but, but, um, letting, letting my me dictate what I have the capacity for versus letting my mind dictate what I think I should have the capacity for and then forcing myself or pushing myself into that but being like okay like this is the first podcast interview I've done all year I canceled all of my other interviews I haven't done anything because I I I was like what am I going to talk about I don't have there's nothing I have to say right now I just my only job is to heal so you know, I canceled everything and now I'm just starting to come back into just can't uh, rescheduling them and setting them up. So those, you know, those kinds of things, because the last thing I want to do is pretend. The last thing I want to do is contort in order to be more palatable or to be more professional or to stay on brand or whatever. The last, that's a lot. I want to be able to be honest and truthful wherever I am. In our last, our first podcast interview, the first time you, you said, you know, what are, I don't remember how you framed the question, but like, what would you, the last thing I would say to your community? And it's, I remember saying, breathe and trust your truth. And so for me to be able to trust my truth, I can't like be on, I have to just be honest. Yeah. Um, this, uh, the idea of truth that you just brought up is something that I wanted to talk to you about as well. Um, and especially given like the specifics of what you just went through, I'm interested in what you feel like you've learned about truth and your relationship to it and its importance in your life through this experience, because it's obviously something Mm -hmm. that I, from what I know of you and from our previous conversations is something that seems really fundamental in terms of its importance in your life and work. And I can imagine that this really rocked that. Hmm. Oh, 100%. One, and that's the part that's been so painful and really devastating is I, I um, value truth so much. So it's forced me to uh, reevaluate my own relationship to truth because I, you know, as above, as above, so below, as within, so without, I, I believe that strongly. So I'm like, where am I lying to myself? Where did I know the truth and dismiss it? Where did I um, reinterpret the truth in a way that was convenient or comfortable for me? Like really having to hold myself accountable for the ways I dishonored my own inner knowing. And when I give myself that space, because really I can't, I mean, yeah, my ex is all of the things that I said when we, when we first got on. But I have my own agency. I still have my own agency. And I still, when I got the spidey sense or that, like, when I tried to end that relationship so many times in the beginning and kept being um, convinced that I should stay. And then I stayed um, only to, like, have this huge devastation 
it's like, okay, Laren, yeah, it's all pain. It does not, it's all, it can all be true, right? Like the devastation is true. And I knew something wasn't quite right a couple of years ago, you know, like all of, I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't know what wasn't quite right. I didn't know why it wasn't quite right, but I knew. And so I have to take responsibility for not telling my, not honoring my own truth. And then I have to look at where did I learn that? And how can I shift my relationship to myself, which is really the only, the only thing I have responsibility for. The only thing I can change is my relationship to myself. Then that informs all my other relationships. So, you know, I could, I don't want to be in the like victim. Oh, what was me? This was done to me kind of mode because it's true. And what else is true? Yeah. It's true. You know, there, there's more things that are true and I have to take responsibility for my own choices within that relationship. Yeah. I mean, and I think, again, you're speaking to something that's very real and sticky that it's infrequent. And I think really rare that something is 100% one thing or a hundred percent something else. Like, yes, there's a lot of this that wasn't your doing your actions, right. Things that were done to you or that were done, you know, with that you didn't have control over. And also to your point that you do have control over listening to the intuition Mm -hmm. or like honoring the red flags. Or I think that there's, there really are a lot of times where we don't trust that like what feels true for us is actually true, especially if it's inconvenient or seems like it doesn't fit the social contract, whatever social contract we're in. It's I, like, I, I do this all the time where I sort of talk myself out of what I know to be true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, totally. Yeah. And like to hear you talk about, I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is, huh, I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> totally. And that's part of it's, it's, um, it's, it's <clears throat> the roots are complicated because part of what I learned growing up in the way that I learned to the, the way that I was raised was how to move myself aside in order to make room for other people in my family and, and how to be very sensitive and energetically attuned to other people and how to um, take, like be aware of other people and how to read other people's energy and how to like go and understand what other people are experiencing, which is an invaluable tool that I use in my work. That's how I'm able to create sacred space. That's how I'm able to create transformational work and experiences for women, because I know how to move energy and I know how to like adjust to what's happening. So that's a gift that came out of some very traumatizing and painful childhood circumstances. Similarly, on the other side of it, that doesn't work when you're in a relationship where you would need to be fully embodied when you can't afford to move aside for someone else. So it's, it's like the roots of it are very complicated because I, you know, I and and that's what I'm learning. How do I own this superpower without letting it overtake me and still own myself? If that, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. I mean, and that while you were talking, I think the question that popped into my mind was, you know, how, you're going about essentially not like breaking the patterns of childhood, mm-hmm. but you mentioned, you know, okay, you learned these things. And on one end, that's a gift because it gives you, like you said, the empathy and the ability to move energy and all those things. And also that you've recognized the ways that that conditioning and those patterns and the way that you were raised and taught from a young age have potentially contributed to showing up in like this past relationship in a way that wound up being self-destructive or not serving mm-hmm. you. So it's like, how do we, and I'm sure there isn't like a tight, concise answer, but I'm just interested in how you're thinking about like, okay, 
may, not like necessarily ensuring that doesn't happen again, because that sounds too tight and controlling, but I'm just interested in the process of, so you've recognized this is a thing that you do. Like, what does it look like then to try to not do that? Yeah. So part of it is like getting, uh, using all of my intelligences. So not just like my intellectual, mental intelligence, but using my emotional intelligence, my physical intelligence, my uh, spiritual intelligence, all of them, and not overthinking it. So trusting my body when, it, when I say, when it says no, to honor that. But, that. but still, all of those intelligences for me right now are still on a, on a top level level, like a more superficial level. And so I'm working with other healers to help me kind of unearth uh, the deeper roots, the gnarly roots that are entangled in keeping me in these patterns. Um, and a therapist has been invaluable and other healers who are just like helping me shift it. So part of it is not trying to take it all on my own back and knowing where my capacities end um, and still doing the best that I can, but knowing that I can only do so much and that I need help and support. So What's interesting is I'm working with a woman here in Mexico. There's a woman I work with on Skype, um, and there's a woman I work with on the phone, and they all work in totally different ways, and they all are echoing the same thing. And not, it's not psychoanalysis, right? Like, it's not like they're using this kind of particular framework. They all have very different modalities, and they all are seeing and saying the same thing. So it's like letting myself be supported in, in specific ways, because I, this is, I just, this is my analogy is, you know, like, you know, when you um, go to do a test drive for a car and they have, they check your credit report and as many credit reports you have, they can go like, if you keep having people check your credit reports, it can impact your credit. Mm -hmm. Like it can make your credit go down. That's how I feel about working with healers and energy workers too. Like the more people you have tapping into your energy and you're reading you and helping like, it can zap your energy too, and it can get you all muddled up in other people's energy. So I'm very selective in particular about who I'm working with, but that has been really helpful to work with wise, seasoned, deeply gifted healers who are helping me move through. Yeah. So in the realm of trusting yourself, which I think is a lot of what we're talking about, how do you think about the difference between intuition and fear? Because I think that, I mean, this is a completely selfish question, but that I struggle a lot with like when something I think, oh, like my intuition is saying this, or this feels true. then I'm like, I tend to do a lot of second guessing of like, was that really true? Or is that some kind of fear-based thing? How has that played out for you? Yeah. I think the distinction between the two is intuition is not an intellectual exercise. So you can say, I think this, right, which is different than like intu intuition is non-judgmental. Um, it's not binary. It's not good or bad, right or wrong. It just is. It's just like, go turn this left down this street. It's not saying you're a bad person if you don't. You're a great person if you do. It's leave this conversation right now. Get in your car. It's very directive. It's or it's a sense. It's like, oh, this doesn't feel good in my gut. Now, when we start getting into why doesn't this feel good? What would happen if this happened? Oh, I'm scared that this might happen. That's not intuition. That's all intellectualizing. That's all ego. That's all trying to make sense of it. Intuition doesn't care if you understand why. Mm -hmm. it, it's just telling you what to do. It does, it's just giving you, a, or 
like giving you a, a sense of something. And there's ways to know, know. So you can be clairsatient, which means you can kind of see things. Clair, I mean, that's clairvoyant. Clairsatient is you feel things. Clairaudient, you hear things. Clairintellect, you know things. So it depends on the way that your body, you experience the information that's coming in in your physical body um, or in your mental body. Like, But when you start, it's like, and it has to get strengthened because most of the time in the culture that we live in, the society that we live in, the intellect is way more valued, way more important, way more treasured than the intuition. So even if intuition can be like a slight whisper, like don't eat that or don't buy that or, and then full force loud on the megaphone. Why? Why not? What would happen? Is that really my intellect? Should I do this or not? I don't understand. Like that's not intuition. That it whisper is intuition. And that's what you have to start learning to listen to more and more and more. Because you know, it's not always not wanting to know. What helps you personally to make space to listen to that? Because I like the way that you're describing it, that it's sort of like a practice and you have to strengthen that and that it gets easier over, I know these aren't the words you use, but what I'm hearing is that it gets easier over time, the more that you make space to pay attention to that. And I'm interested in how you went about building that. Mm, I've always been plugged in to myself and to God, the universe, the divine, like that it's never been something that I didn't have to, I didn't have to like work hard to find the connection. And I think we're all connected. We're, we're all, we just learn how not to listen to it, but we're all always connected. Um, and so for me, it was, it was like, like we talked about earlier, taking action following through on it, not needing to know why, not needing further evidence, which was a big thing that always got me into trouble. Mm. Um, Waiting for like, well, how do I know? I need proof. I'm going to do this instead. I know my intuition said this, but I'm going to do the opposite to see what happens. And it was arrogant and it was um, prideful, you know, to thinking I knew my intellect knew more than my intuition, which is just not true. And so I, I think this is, this thing that I just went through and, and other experiences in my life is like this continual reminder to be humble, this continual reminder to be obedient, this continual reminder that I do not have all the answers. I will never have all the answers. I will never have all the information and to just act anyway and to trust that I'm being taken care of, to trust that something bigger than me has my back, to trust that like these messages are for my greater good and to follow that. Yeah. I I mean, I love what you're saying so much because I think that like, if I'm honest with myself in terms of, you know, recognizing intuition or knowing what truth feels like in my body, like I do know, I just, oftentimes it's the thing that's true is either inconvenient or Mm -hmm. it's going to be to, in order to deal with it, it's going to be painful. Like I, I remember writing down something that you said on Twitter. I think it was on Twitter about a month ago. You said, stop swallowing your words devoured. They will rot in your belly and destroy you from the inside out. Give yourself permission Mm -hmm. to say what needs to be said today. And mm-hmm. I read that and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> it was, and because, I mean, obviously because it's like a call to action, but also it speaks to this very thing that it's like, you know, I would say 98% of the time, you know, what's true. You know, what needs to be done next. It's just hard or painful, or you don't want to do it, or you're afraid or like that there's, yeah. and those are all very real feelings, but that that's not the same as not knowing what's true. Exactly. And that's the thing, like that's, the whole thing that needs to be debunked because it's an excuse. Not knowing is 
more often than not an excuse. And then when people are like, I don't know, and you know, I don't know, I don't know. It, that's not really what they mean. They mean, I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to fail. I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to get hurt. I don't like, that's really not, I don't know. Not, it's just like, I don't feel confident. I don't think I can pull it off. That's well, I don't know what's going to happen. Those are more the fears. And, and, you know, that adage, feel the fear and do it anyway, is true. It's like, Fear is not a justification. Now, but fear is not the same thing as your intuition saying no. Sometimes it says no to things that you're not afraid of, things that you're excited about, things that you want to do. And it's like, mm, nope, that's not good. Mm-hmm. You know, th- there's a difference. And sometimes you, you might be afraid and your intuition's like, yes, this is it. This is for you. You know, you might be scared of speaking and you go on the stage and it's like the best thing that ever happened to you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and, and again, it's just the like t- checking in with yourself and mm-hmm. that we do it's like, this is the benefit of any kind of journaling that I, that I do is always for me, I, I don't have a regular journaling practice. It's, it's sort of a tool of, you know, self-reflection when I need it. And it usually tends to be very question and answer style around the idea of truth. Like, you know, I, I frequently will use journaling to answer, you know, what's true for me that I've been denying. That's like my favorite question. And it, mm. play, it plays into this space a lot. Like this, I love, that idea of give yourself permission to say what needs to be said today. And that is for sure like easier said than done, right? No pun intended, right. but that. So will you share um, maybe one or two examples from your own life where you recognized something that was true, but then like you didn't want to act on it or just anything in that space you want to talk about? Hmm. Hmm. That's a good question. It's not normally a challenge that I have okay. because I don't put um, that in those kinds of consequential categories, like I'm not, I don't have a lot of fear around those things. So I'm trying to think of something. No, I'm actually pretty bold. (laughs) I just kind of do things because I'm not afraid of people. I don't have any fear of what people think of me. I don't have fear of consequence usually. So I don't, um, I don't, I, I try to be in alignment as much as possible, which doesn't usually take a lot of effort in the, uh, reactionary effort. In other words, you know, like I start out with being in alignment so that when stuff happens, I'm like, yeah, well, I, I said what I meant in the beginning. So I, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's funny because like, not that I'm like trying to look for you to give specific answers, but if I was, that's not the answer that I want because it's inconvenient <laughs> for me. Meaning that like <laughs> what you're saying, it makes complete sense. This, the, it's kind of like if you start out acting that way, then like there is like a, a resiliency and it just keeps going that way that everything is a, sort of a lot smoother. If you, if you right. do that, if you stop swallowing your words, if you, you know, don't get 19 steps down the path that was against your intuition. And I, I, we all do it from time to time, but it's like a reminder of the benefit of just like continuously acting, you know, in alignment with whatever's true for you. And the more that you do that, the easier it gets to do that. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly it. Ugh, and fine, I'll give you, fine. <laughs> I'll give you an example, though, of how 
like for me, that's like I said, that's not the problem. That's not the challenge. But one of the healers that I work with in our, one of our first sessions, she was doing kind of this reading of my body, energetic body and, and my physical body. And she got to my throat, my throat and my throat chakra for people who understand and know what that means. But she got to my throat and she was like, whoa, there's so much happening at your throat. And she was like, it's not because it's not because you're not saying what you mean. You say what you mean. You speak the truth. You're honest and in integrity. She said, it's because you're swallowing of all the lies you've swallowed. Hmm. So my challenge isn't about speaking. And the, the other healer that I work with said that, like I said, they reflect and mirror each other. So she said that in a very different way, but the same. She said the exact same thing when we were working on my throat. Um, and so for me, it's, not, it's never about speaking the truth. You know, I, I'm not a people pleaser ever and never have been. Ask my mother, you know, like it's never been a challenge for me around that. But the part of me that that um, is more receptive, that is that isn't as discerning as that would be for my greater good, has swallowed a lot of um, other people's lives hmm. because yeah. Yeah. So hearing you say that you have no problem, you know, speaking up, saying what's true, and this might be sort of a strange question, but I'm interested in if that's the case, the role of silence in your healing process or in your life in general. Hmm. Well, I'm not quite sure what you mean, but I have an answer. <laughs> yeah, ben, whatever whatever your answer is, is probably what I mean, because I don't even know that I mean something. But it, I, I guess may, uh, um, like a reframe of the question is like these those things seem counter to each other, even though I know that they're probably not. Mm. But this idea of being someone like you said, that you are bold and you're not a people pleaser and, you know, speaking your truth and all of that, that that is a place of strength and that that seems to come like relatively easily for you. And so I'm curious then for someone who has a lot of power in the place of like, you know, mouth open, speaking out that kind of thing, like where, cause I know that you meditate also like where silence plays into the balance of that. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. So for me, silence helps me know the truth. Mm, okay. right? It helps me receive the truth. It helps me sit in the truth. It helps me get clarity. That's not from my brain. That's just like God or spirit or the divine, however we name it gives to me. But I, I it helps me be a clear vessel for receiving what's true as opposed to like making it up or interpreting it or, you know, analyzing it. It's like, okay, this is, and then when I speak, I just have to speak or, or receive. And oftentimes it's not about me being a dictator or like saying things. It's just like witnessing. And, and that's, that's what I'm, so, so that's the, the role that silence plays. It's just like receiving, knowing, understanding, getting clear so that my messages aren't coming from social media or the news or fake news or other people's opinions, but it's coming from this still, small, quiet space that's evergreen and true. And does that often mean meditation? Mm, meditation's a tool and a practice that I use for that. It's also like a clearing tool so that when I have all this other stuff and opinions in, da, 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 in my mind that I can just like clear it and then get back to, to the basics. But I live like a very monastic life, which is my favorite way to live. I live like I'm in a monastery, you know, which is, I live a quiet life. I live like a nun, which I love. Will you say more about what that actually looks like in your real life? Oh, yeah. I mean, just meditating, quiet. I don't watch TV. I, 
I mean, I do enjoy some YouTube and Netflix on from mm, time to time, but I just don't have a lot of distractions. I don't, and, and part of it is my, my, um, bot, like I love a glass of white wine. I love white wine and I love tequila, but when one night here, I was like, Ooh, I'm going to have a margarita and I'm going to have a little bit more tequila. And it was like, made me sick. I was like, okay, you know, I'm just learning what my limits are and that more and more it's really about having a, a very narrow, um, life. And so that also is like, I don't really gossip. You know, I don't really like, I, I just don't try. I try not to do anything that's going to bring my energy down. That's going to feel dirty in my body. That's going to feel sullied in my energetic body. That's going to feel low vibration that, that feels, um, that doesn't help me stay clear and aligned. I mean, that's part of it, right? Like I want to be a vessel of God, essentially. I want to be a vessel of truth. I want to be a vessel of love. I want to be a vessel of um, the divine. And so in order to do that, I have to keep my vessel clear and clean. That's my job so that the spirit can come through so I can hear it when it's there. Mm -hmm. So I know that there's various different types of meditation, and I'm interested to hear specifically what your meditation practice looks like. Mm -hmm. I do Vipassana meditation, which is taught in a... um, five-day or 10-day silent meditation retreat, which is kind of like a monastery. You can't uh, look at anybody else. You can't speak to anybody else. There's, I mean, there are like 40, 50, 60, 80 people there sometimes, and you cannot make eye contact. There's no touching. There's no, you don't talk, nothing. You just are there like you're on a solo retreat with other people. Um, and so that's, that's, I've gone to five of those, five, 10-day silent meditation courses, they call them courses, to learn how to, to do it. Yeah. And will you, and I know this is like a really tactical question, but I, I get questions about, you know, meditation and that kind of stuff often from people who are like, that sounds great, but how do I actually do it? And so will you talk a little bit about like that specific style of meditation, like what it is, like you sit down and then what? Well, it's no, I mean, you focus on your breath, but that's why they're 10 day courses. Sure. Cause I can't really right. summarize what it's like and it's not complicated, but it's, a process to, to learn how to do like the first three days, you're not even learning how to do it. You're just like getting out of the mental chatter to like be there. So I, I'm not equipped to teach anyone how to do it. Um, but I would say if you're interested in learning, it's free. You just go, I mean, you have to register in this. Sometimes there's long waiting lists, but it's a body centered meditation practice that involves the breath and sitting. Like you meditate when you're at Vipassana, of course, you meditate for 11 hours a day, 10 days in a row. (laughs) I can't even imagine what that would be like. Right. That's why I'm like, I can't teach you how to do it. All right. Well, but yes, Google, Google's free and people can look it up, I suppose. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, so going back a little bit to, I'm interested in the intersection of this experience that you just went through and the work that you do, because I think that kind of like the cliche that it's really easy to give other people advice and then harder to take our own advice. I'm interested in what the experience was like for you of, and you're still going through it, obviously of having to live what it is that you teach, you know, and what you've, you know, taught with the women that you've worked with in the past. And like, did you find that to be harder than expected? Were there particular 
you know, tools that you teach people that you found yourself being really grateful that you had? I'm, I'm always interested when someone winds mm. up in a personal situation that's reflective of the work that they do. Um, does that make sense what I'm asking? Totally. Yeah. My work, it's like they go hand in hand. This, my work has prepared me for this and this has prepared me for my work. They're, they're symbiotic. Um, and so I have a lot of tools, most of which is just giving myself the space to be present. It's always about coming back to the present moment, coming back to the present moment, coming back to the present moment without judgment, without analysis, just being present. And so that has definitely informed, you know, my work has informed that and this is informing my work. But what, it, what I'm realizing too, as I'm going through this now is how much it deepens my capacity for compassion and empathy um, for my clients and, and how blessed I am to be able to do this. Like I don't have kids. I don't have a nine to five. I've really intentionally structured my life in a way that allows me to live the way that I want to live. So if I want to go to Mexico for however long that I can. Um, and so it's, that has, that's invaluable, but, but not all my clients can do that. You know, a lot of them have very structured, high profile, high responsibility jobs, and um, it's like, okay, well, how do you create the space that you need when you can't do this? And part of it is getting out of your head about it, getting out of the analysis, getting out of the judgment, getting out of the like timeline and the rush so that you can like really do what you have to do to heal. Because if you don't, you're just going to keep carrying it with you and repeating it and repeating it and repeating it until you finally uproot it. Mm -hmm. I really love that you're underscoring um, the truth that it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It's not like you have to quit all the things and go to Mexico or whatever someone's version of Mexico is. And that's, you know, if you can't do that, then healing's not possible. And, you know, obviously you never said that. But I think to to your point, like, and you're just sharing what's true for you and what you decided to do. And also the intentional choices that you have made in your life and your work in order to make this type of thing possible. And that it's not Mm -hmm. possible for everyone and different folks for lots of different reasons. And that doesn't mean that they can't do deep and meaningful healing work within the container of their own lives. Like I think it's kind of like this, I don't know, on a pedestal story or this like sexy story of like, I quit everything and moved to Bali or, you know, like Mm -hmm. burn it all down. And sometimes sure, that's the path. And that's great if that's the path that someone can and chooses to take. But I think that that's rare. And so to hear you from your own experience with this work, speak to the fact that like, don't worry, that's not the only option. I think that that's comforting because it's, I think, easy to get stuck in these like all or nothing things of, well, if I can't quit my job and dedicate everything to it, that means that I'm just going to be in this deep pain forever. Totally. And, and the thing is, you can quit your job and go to Bali put all your things up for sale and go to Bali and still be distracted by all the smoothies and the yoga classes and the socializing and the beach parties and the Twitter and the Instagramming it and still not go through the shit. I mean, the whole thing is when it gets down to it, you got to go through the shit. You have to, if you want to get through it. Otherwise you're just going to be distracting yourself with the next new shiny thing. That could be a person that could be a job that could be whatever and still not go through it and numb yourself out or compartmentalize or explain it away. And it's still very active bubbling beneath the surface. So it doesn't really, you can do this in your living room. You know, if you, if that's the only option that you have, you can still heal. I, my philosophy that I teach 
and teach from is if you, I want to be able to teach practices, philosophies, habits, paradigm shifts, that if you are in alone in a room by yourself with no fancy crystals or tarot decks or apps downloaded on your phone, that you can still get freedom and you can still get healed. That's, that's my goal because you know, you may never, you may not have access to all the fancy things that are promising you whatever, and you can still access. I think of, you know, um, Nelson Mandela was in prison for decades, decades, and sometimes had nothing and was treated inhumanely. And he still figured out how did he connect with his peace? How do you connect with your peace? How do you connect with your wholeness? How do you connect with your love with nothing? And that's, that's what I want. Yeah, I, that's incredibly powerful because I think that, you know, holding too tightly onto, you know, you you mentioned the crystals, the tarot decks, those te- or, you know, insert any other thing here, right? Like yoga, green juice that are like holding mm-hmm. on so tightly to the things and not to say that any of those things or tools can't be helpful and haven't been helpful. But it's like if it's like another trap almost potentially of like, if you set yourself up for the only way that I can heal is if these six things, you know, if I'm in this place and these things are all aligned and I have these tools, like that doesn't feel like freedom. Right. And I love all those things, but they're not freedom. They're not the key. You're the key. You are the key always. And only you are the key. Yeah. I, I, and I loved what you were saying before about, I mean, again, like wherever you go, there you are, of course, the cliches are cliche for a reason, but that the only answer is that you have to face the shit. You have to face the pain. And like, I, I was like smiling and nodding to myself as you were saying that just cause I'm like, Oh my God, drag me forever. But I feel like it's the mental gymnastics that we do in order to not have to be in pain sometimes is astounding. Mm-hmm. Like I, mm-hmm. I, that's like the most, <laughs> I'm not a very physically flexible person, but I am very mentally flexible in terms of the gymnastics that I can do to not have to deal with the things that I need to deal with. Totally. I mean, and, and blame is that right. Finger pointing is that guilt tripping is that all of those things are mental gymnastics. It's like, how can I take 100% responsibility for my life right now? Not my past, not what they did, not what I wanted them to do, not da da da. How, what can I do from this moment? This moment is the most powerful moment you have. What can you do? And, if, and we have to reframe our ideas of power. If this moment is the most powerful moment you have, and that means getting in the bed and watching the entire five seasons of Living Single, which is what I did, that's powerful because you need to do that to heal, right? But getting in the bed, watching five singles, five seasons of living single because you're avoiding having a hard conversation is not the same thing. Yeah. The, uh, the action might be the same, but the intention and the, the end result is not the same. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. This might be an unanswerable question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, uh, this idea of, you know, you can't heal unless you face the shit, right? If that's what we're going to call it. Mm-hmm. Wh- what helps you to do that, to like make it safe for yourself to open yourself up to being in pain? Mm -hmm. I don't have, I don't see any other options for me, for myself. I don't see any other options. There's nothing else for me to do. Literally, like literally everything else feels like a death. And even though this is painful, it's like birth. You know, I used to be a birth doula and you can have medicated births that take away all the pain. And some people do that and some people need to do that. Some people don't need to do it and scheduled to do that. And there's some people who have vaginal 
um, unmedicated. I have a friend who has six babies, all birthed at home, unassisted, except for the first one who was birthed at, with, with meaning no midwife, no doula, just her and her family birthing these babies. So any, at any rate, when you have an unmedicated birth, you have to go through the pain. And the most painful part of birth is called transition. Literally, that's what it's called. When the baby comes down the birth canal and goes in, moves through your body, it's painful. That's the most painful. It takes different amounts of time for different people. Some is quick, some it's hours and hours and hours and hours, days. But if you have to do it. If this is a way you're, you, if you have chosen to have an unmedicated vaginal birth and you're going to get that baby out, you got to go through the pain. It's not going to feel like lilacs and daisies and frolicking. It's just part of the process. So to answer your question, I, I, I don't think of another option. This yeah. is it. I, I just got to go through it knowing this is part of it and that it's not going to last forever. Yeah, I think what just came up for me when you were talking is, again, like the lies that we tell ourselves because, and this is something that I work on in therapy is not trying to break out of like just binary thought patterns like this or this black, you know, this or that black or white, that it's easy to think, you know, face the pain and be in pain or don't face the pain and don't be in pain. And I think that that's not true because if there's something that needs to be faced, then you either have the choice of maybe like the acute overwhelming pain of facing it and dealing with it and moving through it, like you just described, or not facing it. There's then there's like this constant sort of low level pain that, you know, that like there's pain either way. So it's like, how long do you want to drag it out essentially? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and pile stuff on top of it. Right. And then project it onto other people. And then like, it it comes, it's not going anywhere. It's just going to be in different places. And part of it that makes it complicated. And this is why it's helpful to work with therapists and other people who can get insight onto, into what's going on is like, we may have grown up in environments where this was normal, where pain was normal, where violence was normal, where, you know, they, our parents were in pain. So they, and they had no expectations of not being in pain. So we don't even understand what not being in pain, perpetual pain looks like or could look like. So, you know, it's important to like realize other possibilities are possible and how, and that we don't have to figure it out on our own. Mm -hmm. I also think that this dovetails with what you were saying about truth and sort of this idea that you know, uh, uh, whatever we were talking about, about what you said on Twitter about like, you know, the value of not swallowing your words essentially. And that they like wind up destroying you from the inside. I think a lot about this idea that like the truth comes out somewhere, no matter what, it might not be in your words, but like it always comes out somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, Cause it's there. It's there. Yeah. It's not going anywhere. So two words that I have seen come up a bunch in your work and the way that you talk about the things that you do that I would love to ask for maybe your own definition of. Um, I've heard you use the word words agency and sovereignty a lot. Will you speak about what those mm-hmm. words mean to you? Yeah. Agency is hilarious to me because I didn't hear it until I got to college. And I was a women's studies major and, and my um, one of my professors, it was images of women in the media and she kept talking about agency. I was like, what the hell is, she was like, we have agency, you have agency, you can do the agency, agency, because this was also the height of um, like, for lack of a better term, video hoes, where like hip hop and videos had a lot of like naked women gyrating. So 
you know, people were talking about, well, that's her individual choice. And then, but what is she saying for women? So this was a whole, all this discussion of images of women in the media. And the, my professor kept saying agency. And I was like, what is, so I didn't know what agency meant for a long time. I was like, what the hell is agency? So agency means basically the same thing as sovereignty. It's, it's a power. You have your own individual power, your own individual choice, your own individual ability, whatever it is, you can choose. So for the music video examples, yes, these individual women could make their own individual choices to be in this music video to take this job or not. But there's an overarching patriarchal misogynistic uh, culture that has the expectation that these are the roles that women play, right? So it's, it's looking at both and for me. So when I talk about agency, when I talk about sovereignty, when I talk about personal power, when I talk about choice, sometimes people are like, well, what about racism or sexism or homophobia or all these other structural systems of oppression? And both are true, mm -hmm. right? Like if my ancestors who are descendants of enslaved people who were stolen from Africa and worked in, in inhumane conditions for centuries on American soil, which was stolen land, had said, oh, well, these are just my conditions. I have no agency. I have no choice. I have no ability to do anything different. We would be in a very different situation than we are. So they had to be able to say, I have agency, even in the inhumane circumstances where I am constitutionally three-fifths of a human being. In the U.S. Constitution, I'm not even considered a whole human being. Mm -hmm. If they had not, if they had said, oh, well, I don't have any agency, you know, a lot of things would not have happened. We would not be free. So it's about knowing both are true and how do you use your agencies is the real question, right? How do you use your agency to, to dismantle the larger systems of oppression? How do you use your agency to, to have hard conversations? How do you use your agency to move closer to sovereignty, which to me is ultimate freedom? Sovereignty is about being your own self-informed whole person, being as whole as you actually already are. And agency is a tool to help you get there. It's the most important tool, I think. Mm -hmm. And so sovereignty, sovereignty to me is not about people pleasing. It's not about um, trying to take care of everyone else before you take care of yourself. It's like being whole, standing in yourself, being um, fully self-expressed and taking 100% responsibility for your life and your choices. Yeah. I'd love to talk a little bit about your new program. You mentioned that you had, um, you know, started doing some new stuff, online courses, your new program, Devotion specifically. Can you tell me about that? Sure. Devotion is a year-long spiritual exploration of race, gender, feminism, and liberation for us all. And so for me, it's really about creating a sacred community, a sacred conversation to have in-depth and powerful conversations around how do we create the liberation in the world that we want? It's not um, going to be easy, right? Like we're talking about, it's not necessarily going to be hard either, but it's getting out of that binary of easy and hard and like what's true, what's right in front of me. How am I showing up in my everyday relationships, in relationships with strangers, with my family, with my community? And how am I participating in these systems of oppression? How have I been impacted by them? Um, and really looking at them from a, inside out from a personal perspective out versus a um, outside in. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's the structure of the program in the year long time span? Sure. So we meet twice a month. We meet uh, once a month for the master class, and then there's homework and assignments and exercises for them to do in between. And then we meet the 
third Thursday of the month for um, Q&A calls. So there is no Facebook group. And that's very intentional because it's it's not about often we stay in these like Internet silos where we just like talk to people who think like us or we like challenge people who don't think like us. But it's all happening online. And most not all, of course, but a lot of the violence and destruction and um, challenges and problems that are happening are happening offline in people's everyday lives. People are dying offline, right? And so people are being, children are having the cops called on them offline. Unarmed people are getting murdered by the police offline. People are being passive aggressive in conversations that require direct communication offline. And so the, the homework and the exercises are really about how do you take what you've learned in the master classes and the first master class is truth, then spirit, then race, then gender, then feminism, then we talk about sovereignty, self-care, all kinds of uh, legacy lineage. But how do you take what you've learned and apply them into your everyday life mm-hmm. and then come back and um, ask questions based on the feedback and the experiences, the challenges that you've had in your everyday life? Yeah. Because it's really easy to get stuck in these conversations online and then have a completely different approach when you are faced with something in the real world. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. Um, and I know that it's probably difficult to talk about an all-encompassing program like this, you know, out of context, of course, like there's the depth of what you ever you go into in the masterclasses and that kind of stuff. But I'm curious in the realm of when you mentioned like homework and things to work on, can you give an example of like one of those things? Well, the Truth Masterclass, for example, is about looking at, so each one is about exploring truth, exploring race, exploring gender, right? It's not about like, this is what race is. This is what gender is. This is what the truth is. It's really about what is your relationship to it? So one of like the homework assignments are about taking what you learn of these concepts, these philosophies around the topic, and then experimenting with it, like using it as a detective. So And it's more about being a witness to yourself, a witness to the conversations you're having with yourself. So it's like for truth, for example, um, second guessing what you've interpreted as the truth. So is this true? How do I know this is true? And then an example is like, what are three other possibilities of what could be true in this Mm -hmm. situation? What, like, so it's creating like neuroplasticity, like really kind of getting your brain to loosen up and f- be more flexible. So, okay, like um, this happened and, and we automatically go into judgment and analysis. Okay, you got your judgment analysis. What are three other distinctly different possibilities of what could have happened? Yeah, Experiment just trying to open up some more space. Yeah, getting out of the rigidity, which is why we start with truth. Because if we're going to be talking about race and gender, and all these other kind of things that have way more charge and, and, and interpretation and opinions and perspectives layered onto it, then we have to start with understanding that your truth is not the absolute truth. Yeah. Right. Just because something is true for you doesn't mean that that's someone else's true lived experience. Right. And is it true for you? Right. Right. Like, right. is it even true for you? I had, um, as an example, there's someone who... It's, it's kind of complicated to talk about, but, but on the sales page, it says, this is not a course about white centering, white fragility, all these things that, that I was getting messages about. And I said, this is not a course. And so then I got an email, my assistant got an email from, from a woman who is in the course who 
was having a difficult time because even though it said that on the sales page, she wanted uh, more information about white fragility and white cindering. Now, this is not what the course is about. Um, so in her conversation around that, she was trying to get information about it. But we hadn't even gotten to the truth. We hadn't, she hadn't even been equipped yet with the tools to start thinking about, well, was that even true? What was true about her relationship to whiteness and white fragility as a white woman? You know, mm-hmm. so it's, it's about, but we're so habitual about looking out. This person did this wrong. This is my fault or it's not my fault or I am fragile or I want, you know, like, it's like, we have to change the framework to even be able to have this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. How is this program different from work that you've done before? Or I guess, again, sort of looking, not that, you know, the self-recovery and everything that you're going through necessarily creates like a binary before and after state, but I'm interested in like what you learned about yourself that like, let this program be birthed in its, you know, current iteration. Mm, Well, let's see. I mean, my, like I said, my degree is in women's studies. My mother has been doing, uh, she has the, she's the principal of her own consulting firm and has been doing organizational development work for over 30 years. So I've been talking about, and that has included like diversity training, sexual harassment on the job, all kinds of stuff. So I've been having these conversations literally since childhood about intention versus impact and race and what is social construction of race. All, all of these things are my youth. And then I went and got a degree in really looking at the societal and structural and cultural frameworks around it. So I've been equipped to talk about it for a really long time, but I didn't want to talk about it because it's a rabbit hole that you can go down forever and ever. And, and then I realized that I could talk about it in the ways that I wanted to talk about it, that I could talk about it as a spiritual exploration. Cause to me, that's the most important part. How do we hold the capacity for all of this, starting with who you actually are, the life that you're actually living. For example, I have someone in my class who's originally from uh, Idaho, is a mother of three, recently divorced, and now lives in New York City. That's a complete white woman. That's a completely different experience than me, right? So I can't tell her, well, this is how you need to feel about your own lived experience in your own life. But I can give her a framework to understand and interpret her own lived experience so that she can help create liberation for everyone, mm-hmm. right? So that's, that's what I have been working on, too. Like, how do I create more of a structural framework? Because my work previously was more about really going deeply, working individually with people around what was happening in their lives and who they wanted to be, which is still the work. But this is more looking at also, like, the overculture, the structural institutions that we're all living within, too as well. Yeah. I I like what you are saying that, um, you know, you've been having these conversations since childhood and you've been equipped to teach this type of stuff forever and just chose not to maybe because you thought it had to look a certain way or that didn't feel like resonant for you. And I, I find it empowering and comforting to hear that you are doing this thing and teaching on these topics in your own way. Cause I think sometimes we often hold ourselves back, you know, with thinking, you know, this has to look exactly like X or it has to be this certain way. And there, you know, or I can't do it. And being able to hear the ways that you are making this work for you, I, I like that idea. Yeah, it feels, and that's that's why the classes are also structured twice a month. 
I mean, in addition to them being able to do like the work in the, their daily lives, it's also what I have the energetic capacity for. I can, I can do that. I can teach a masterclass and do a Q&A call. Um, and so I had to really figure out what is the structure that works best for me as well. Yeah. I mean, and I think as a creative, as a business owner, as, you know, as someone who's in that position, I think that those are really great questions. And I think we often give ourselves a hard time of, you know, uh, I have to have a Facebook group, right? It has to, you know, meet every week or it has to look a certain way and to step back and be like, okay, well, if, if what I have the capacity to do is, you know, whatever the framework is that you just outlined and you know that you could do that at the best of your ability and that that's the limitation, then you wind up attracting people for whom that's the structure that works for them too. Like not everyone wants to or can do something that's, you know, daily or every week or, mm-hmm. you know, has a Facebook group that involves checking in like 19 times a day or whatever. So I think exactly. it's, it's like a good reminder sometimes times that, you know, to think, oh, am I, am I giving enough or am I setting this up in, you know, the same way that other people are? What are the expectations for the way this course or this work has to look, you know, for someone who works for themselves, but to remember there's always someone and more than one, someone who's going to be the right fit for, you know, what you can best offer. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, um, work related or otherwise, when you think ahead through the rest of this year, what feels really important for you? What are you thinking about? Um, just to keep my first priority is to keep taking care of myself and to keep resting and to keep healing. That's like, and you know, the work, work is, I already have that mapped out and, and that's kind of like structured in a way that will help that that'll be fine. But my number one priority is to keep resting and keep healing and then create, but my it, my, there's no pressure on myself to do that at all. Just mm-hmm. keep resting. I mean, even in so much as I know that originally, um, you were supposed to go back to Seattle this week and you decided to stay in Mexico. Was that, I'm assuming mm-hmm. that decision was part of what you just described. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And what was that? You just felt like, nope, this isn't the right time or I'm not done here. What did that feel like or look like for you? Well, there was some like a technical issue. I had a doctor's appointment and I made my flight on the same day as my doctor's appointment. So I would miss my doctor's appointment. And the next one isn't going to be until mid-August. So instead of going back to Seattle and my dog, my friends, thank God, have been so generous. They've had my dog since February. It's now July. Um, and they're leaving town. So, But they decided, they agreed to keep her for a few more weeks. So I was like, okay, they're going to keep her for a few more weeks. I'm going to just stay here because I don't, the only reason I was going back to Seattle was to get my dog and to go to this doctor's appointment. And now that they're going to keep her and a little bit longer and, and the doctor's appointment, I don't have to go until August. I'm just going to stay a little bit longer. Do you have a plan logistically for where you're going next? No, I was thinking about other places, Hawaii and Zanzibar and Thailand. But um, then I started working with the healer here. And, and once I started working with her here, I was like, no, this is exactly where I need to be to keep healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The reason that I asked that about, you know, future plans or what's next is because again, whether it's in your personal healing or in your work, I'm always interested in how people handle the sort of seeming dichotomy between like being in flow and following intuition versus planning or like having set Mm. goals and like versus surrender. And I know that's like a really big question, but can you talk a little bit about how you think about those things? Yeah, I love structure so much. Structure gives me a lot of freedom. But part of it has been like the structure of doing nothing. 
you know, that's what I've been doing most of the year. And so it's like, it dep- I think it's part of, it's like reframing how we name structure, how we define structure. Um, so like for me, my goals as a business owner is to make money in my business for sure. Doing work that I'm good at and that I love to do. So that kind of like when I'm going to launch my next round of devotion, I have, I know that'll be December, January, and then I'm going to offer something in between. Um, and that's all kind of mapped out, but I'm really in the flow around it. So there, there has to be a balance. Cause I, like I said earlier, you know, I'm a workhorse. I will work myself, but my body won't let me, my physical body, my energetic body won't let me work in the ways that I want to work. And so I just have to stop. I can't, but having that structure, knowing when things are going to come out uh, is helpful. And I've like hired people in my business, not just my assistant, but I've hired other people that I've worked with to help me map this out. Because part of it's like learning, wh- whereas before I think I winged it basically, like I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do this and I'll be the butcher, the baker and the candlestick maker. I'll do everything. And now I'm like, Laren, you literally have a limited energetic capacity, literally like you get to decide what you're going to spend it on. You could spend it on trying to figure out how to do everything, or you could spend it on the things that only you need to be focusing on. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I'm prioritizing my time. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to pick up a thread of something that you mentioned, um, cause I, it, the first round of devotion is happening right now, right? Like uh, in mm-hmm. real time. So then you said that you're going to be opening up spaces again, probably towards the end of the year. Is that what you said? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, cool. Can you just um, talk a little bit about who the program's a good fit for? Because I mean, when I read the description, I was like, this is amazing. I would definitely love to do this. Every, <laughs> I mean, I love your work in general, but I think that because these are topics I think that are, I mean, of paramount importance in general, and I think particularly in the climate that we're in right now. And so I could see this being something that's resonant with a lot of folks who are listening. So can you just share a little bit about like, this would be a good fit for folks if... Yeah, this is devotion is a great fit for women who want to have a deeper conversation around who they are, how they live, and kind of understanding the intersectional world that we live in. So there's a woman in the group, I can't, I think she lives in Connecticut, I can't remember exactly where she lives, a white woman who, um, she's like, I live in this really tiny town, it's like 800 people, and she's like, I, there's like no ethnic or racial diversity in, in this town. But she wants, so it's not like she's having to have conversations about race every day in her life, but she wants to have um, a more informed, nuanced, deep, well-rounded conversation and be able to show up with more accountability and truth and love in everywhere she goes. So she's one example. Then there are people who have like six and seven figure online businesses who are responsible for uh, a wide range of clientele who are coming to them. They want to show up with more integrity and truth and love in their work and in their business. I have a woman who um, runs the like international burlesque conference, like BurleyCon. And she um, is also doing spiritual work and wants to show up, be, like wants to deepen her knowledge and her conversation around all of the things that we're talking about. I have a college professor who's a PhD who is on the front lines of all kinds of social justice work has already, this is not a new conversation with her, but she wants to be in community and deepen it. And I have women who've never had this conversation before, but have been doing kind of their own self-study and growth around these things and want to be held accountable. And they want to grow in a way that's loving and compassionate without shame and judgment. So it's, it's really, I have people who are exploring their own gender identity, their own sexual identities, people who are in marriages and like are trying to figure out if, 
how they can be more fully self-expressed. I have a woman who's left a multiple six-figure job and gone on her own and is like, I have no idea who I actually am now. You know, so it's like yeah. a total wide range and, and more so than the identities is that they're all curious. They're all open-minded. They all want to grow. They all want to be better and do better and know that they don't have all the answers and that I'm not going to give them the answers, but that it's about how do I become more self-actualized in this life yeah. and, and hold space for other people. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think that that's a good place uh, to start to wrap up. But is there anything that we haven't covered yet that's on your mind and heart that you wanted to share? Mm, No, I'm just grateful for this conversation. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, thank you. And I think as you remember, probably from last time, the way that we end these are with some sort of random rapid fire questions. Essentially, all eight guests this season are answering the same seven questions. If you are open to answering seven questions. <laughs> sure. Lay it on. What's one activity that you can always count on to make you feel good? Mm. Mm. One activity I can always count on. I feel like this should be an easy answer, but I, uh, laying in the sun. Hmm. Yeah, I can relate to that for sure. Let's fast forward five years and you're talking to your future self or rather your future self is talking to you. What advice does this future self give you for what to do right now? Oh, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, (laughs) Who's one of your favorite people to follow on social media? Hmm. I love Mylik Teal. She owns Curlbox. Um, which is a subscription box for women with curly hair, hair care products. They get full size hair care. And I don't even have any hair. So I don't, I'm not a, I don't get coral box, but she's a brilliant businesswoman and she's a, she's inspirational and very direct and holds people accountable and just as unapologetic in who she is. So my leak, M-Y-L-E-I-K. T-E-E-L-E, my leak teal. All right. What's one thing that helps you when you're feeling particularly overwhelmed and stressed? Um, mm, hi, oh, I have like three things. Yeah, go Can for I, it. You can tell me all okay. the things, yes. <laughs> Hydrating, resting, um, well, four things, eating and processing if I need to. Yeah. Yeah. All good things. I know so many times I'm like, is there really a problem or am I just hungry? <laughs> right. Exactly. Do I just yes. need a nap? Like, oh, exactly. Like, to treat myself how you would treat an infant, right? Like, and do you have to go to the bathroom? Have you eaten? Have you like those things? Like, so much can be solved. With that. Yes. Um, how do you typically spend the last hour of your day? So before, you know, the last hour before you go to sleep, what are you usually doing? Well, um, Right now, I'm listening to an, a book on Audible called Crazy Rich Asians. That's a fiction book. It's a New York Times bestseller. It's coming out with a movie this month, and it's about these very wealthy um, families in Singapore who are like rich, 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 rich. And it's just totally not my life, which is why I love listening to it because it's well-written, it's entertaining, and I so, so I like to listen to that before I go to bed. That's awesome. Yeah, I think I've been thinking a lot leading into this hike specifically um, about what 
media I'm bringing with me, right? Because I have to like, pre-download things like what are the audiobooks that I'm bringing for, you know, at least the first month? What books am I downloading onto the Kindle app on my phone to read before I go to sleep? And yeah, I've been thinking of, hey, let me pick one or two things that are literally just for fun. Not everything has to be serious. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So speaking of books, which two or three books, any type of book, any genre, would you say have had the biggest impact on you or that um, recently you've either been recommending or rereading? Mm, um, biggest impact, I would say, um, Shakti Gawain, Living in the Light, for sure. Um, Deepak Chopra, Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. And Women Who Run With the Wolves. But that's, I said that last time, so let me think of one more. Um, oh, I don't know. There's one more that I can like see in my mind that's like highlighted, underlined. Oh, The Success Principles is really good, too. Success principles. All right. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, And then the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action right now, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? I'm sticking with my original breathe and trust your truth. Yeah. And and that's never not good advice. (laughs) So good. Um, What's the best place for people to find you, find out more about devotion, maybe even say hi online? Do you have uh, currently a favorite way to connect with new folks? Um, You can always find me on my website, which is Laren Alta, L-E-R-I-N-A-L-T-A dot com. And Instagram is my favorite place on the socials, which is also Laren Alta. Instagram is my favorite place on the socials too. (laughs) Uh, Instagram is where I reply reply to all of your stories of how amazing Mexico looks. (laughs) Um, I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Laren, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm really grateful for you. Thank you. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, I want to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam created the music for this show, and he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could on my own. You can find him and his music, which is awesome, by the way, and his sound editing work at adamday.net. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Ash. Hi, Ash. Hello. You ready to answer five random questions? Absolutely. So my favorite question first, what are you totally obsessed with right now? Um, So I have been at home sick in bed most of the week and looking for things to do uh, other than nap. And that has had me start playing Monument Valley because I just recently got an iPad, which I am pretty obsessed with. So I started playing the Monument Valley game and I finished both games in like two days. So it's fair to say I'm pretty obsessed with that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not really, I mean, I I don't even know what that is, but I'm not really a game person. And then every time I hear people talk about being excited about games, I'm like, maybe I could be a game person. Maybe I could get into that. Yeah, well, I was, I, I definitely like wouldn't have classed myself as a game person, but um, I did a workshop recently, which was all about um, extending different artistic experiences for a project I'm working on. And um, the lady who hosted it, who is awesome, has a big background in game design. And um, looking at some of the things, looking at some of the ideas I wanted to express and not knowing the medium, and then discovering that like games are so much more than just first person shooters or, um, you know, because that's the thing. I'm not really into like getting on the Xbox and doing that, but there's so much 
that there are ways to tell narratives through game um, and, and deliver per, like personal experiences through like tiny or trash games. Um, I mean, Monument Valley isn't quite that, but it does have a narrative to it. It's got puzzles. Um, so I've been experimenting with games and that's the one that really hooked me in so far. So yeah, there's definitely a world of games there for you. Yeah, that's fascinating. I'm into it. You convinced me. Okay. (laughs) Um, The next question is about money. So when it comes to money, what's one thing that you purposefully don't spend much money on? And then on the flip side, what's one thing that's a totally worthwhile splurge for you when you can? Okay. Um, So I try to spend as little money as possible um, eating meals out because I discovered, I I used to, that was the way that all our friend group would catch up. Um, But I discovered it wasn't a particularly valuable use of money for me. Um, So I tried more and more to just scale down um, because mostly what we wanted to do was see each other. And there are plenty of ways to do that. That doesn't involve, you know, $25 brunches. Um, So that's one thing I intentionally try to scale back. Um, And then one thing I intentionally pay for now is probably content. And, and good programs. So for a long time, I, um, I've been like totally mystified by just, I always wanted to DIY everything and, oh, oh, I could buy that, that that person made, or I could just make it myself. Um, but recently I've really come around to no people do a really good job of what they do. And that's from like small little indie things. So, so some small games, getting paid for games, um, getting paid for content instead of just getting it free. And like then larger things like, um, signing up for like an Adobe Illustrator um, subscription instead of just going, oh, I don't know, I'll just knock it together and paint or something, you know, like actually get a good program Mm -hmm. that does the work because it's going to be so much more pleasurable to use, so much more pleasurable to intake the information if it's content than to try and bash it together with yourself. Yeah, totally. If anything were possible, what's one of your big dreams or fantasies? Recently, I've been thinking like, quite a lot about doing a PhD, um, which would be, yeah, a bit of a sojourn from where I've been currently just working on doing some creative work and building, building up some, some capital for my corporate work. Um, so I think that would be the thing I'd, I'd probably do. I know it's a big endeavor, but yeah. No, I love it. Uh, what's one thing that you would love to do between now and the end of the year? I would like to finish writing a short film that I'm working on. Um, yeah, I'd really love to get the script for that done and um, maybe even get it filmed. I think I could get it filmed in six months. That might be a bit um, <laughs> a bit ambitious. But yeah, if that was done, that'd be fantastic. Mm. And then the last question, what's one specific thing that you wish people were more open and honest about? Wow. Um I mean, probably sex. <laughs> like, I feel like you can relate on that one. <laughs> um, yeah, I wish people talked a little bit more. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, that, their feelings, just... I just wish we talked more about about everything, I guess. Growing up, I felt like maybe I was alone in some things um, because just no one talked about it. But, like, I was totally not alone. We were all thinking the same thing. Um, yeah, just what they're thinking. Maybe what they're thinking in general. Maybe it's not even as narrowed down as sex. Maybe it's just... 
what's actually going on for you right now? Please tell me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously all I want to do is talk about sex. So like that's, that's <laughs> real. I, it, within that realm, something that I am finding specifically that I wish that people were more honest about is, and I guess this extends outside of sex as well. It's just like their desires. Like what do you actually yes. want? Like what would it yes. actually take to make you feel satisfied? And like, if you could identify that and then speak it, I feel like the whole world would change. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's the, every, every tiny revolution in me has started with someone saying something true. Oh my gosh, that's so well said. Yeah. So you're a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you are one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you make a powerful reoccurring pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show each season, for which I'm very grateful. And (laughs) I would love for you to share two things. First, why you decided to support the show, and then what's been your favorite thing about being in our little community? Okay. Um, Well, Nicole, I've been following your work for many years It's been now. a long time, girl. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long time. So yeah, I started out following your blog and then we did some coaching work together, which was fantastic. Um, and yeah, so I basically just kind of, whatever you're doing, um, have supported along the way. <laughs> um, the and it's funny because sometimes I'm like, well, Nicole said this and people are like, what? And I'm like, oh, oh, that's right. Like, <laughs> not, not everyone knows who Nicole is. <laughs> like, Because you've been in my life, like as a, you know, in some way through the blog or through the Patreon, um, the podcast for such a long time, it is kind of like this extended friend. So I was just super excited to get in and again, support the content that I want created because it doesn't happen for free. You know, there is time invested. So that's the reason I decided to jump on. I'd probably jump on and support whatever you do. Um, cause I like the work you create in the world. And one of my favorite things, I love the link love. I really love the link love edition that you put in the Patreon. I always find really great links in that. Um, I love the podcast recommendations and book recommendations. So I always get super excited when I get an email saying that that's been released for the month. Uh, that makes me so happy. Uh, one of the things that I did this year was, cause it used to just be one funding tier in Patreon, the $8 level. And I was really conscious about not adding additional funding tiers until I had really specific bonuses that I wanted to, you know, add at those levels that I thought would be really fun for me to create. And that would be hopefully helpful and fun for folks to get. And so, yeah, one of the things for the $16 level is essentially a curated list of my favorite links and things from the month. And it's been so much fun to put that together. So hearing that feedback from you makes me really happy because I feel like I take in a lot of content, whether that's, you know, articles or books or podcasts or recipes or just like so many things. And it's been really nice to have a place to distill that too. So knowing that you enjoy it is awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic. And because I can kind of trust it, it's good for me because I spend some time browsing, but usually I'm so busy. I don't get to kind of engage with everything I'd like to. So it's cool to get this curated list that like, there's a pretty good chance that I'm going to resonate with, you know, most of the stuff that's here, as opposed to me just jumping down the internet rabbit hole and trying to find this content myself. So it's, it's really fantastic. Totally. And the last thing, will you share where you live and maybe a social media link or something in case folks want to reach out? Okay. Um, I live in Brisbane, Australia. Um, a social media link. I, I don't really have much of a social media presence. I do have a Twitter. I think it is Ashley.freed or maybe just Ashley Freed. I'm pretty bad with social media. Hey, that's, hey, that's awesome too. <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> um, yeah, but basically, um, I think it's like Ashley.freed on Instagram and then Ashley Freed on Twitter. I have a pink background in my profile. You'll know that that's me. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty boring on social media, unfortunately. Now, hey, you know what? Boring in social media, fun in real life, more other things to focus on. Um, also yeah. at some point I have to make it to Australia. 
yes, please, please, you almost did. And then, then obviously, you know, plans change, but please come to Australia. That would be so exciting. Yes. I mean, I've thought about like, oh, could I travel over for like one of the Real Talk Live events? Like, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm doing um, a multi-day retreat. I probably shouldn't be saying this on the recording yet because it's not totally finalized, but um, and I'm sure the tickets will, will sell out within just the Patreon community. So oopsie, sorry. But yeah, either way, it would be awesome to get to meet you in person finally. Um, yeah. So to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 40 hours of bonus content, plus lots of other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. Honestly, I can't tell you how much that support means to me, and it'll be so much fun to get to know you better after you've joined our community. Perhaps we can even record a future outro together like this one. That would be a blast. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together. 